you know it's sugar free Now tell me girl, how you like your tea? Up in here we like it sugar free Come through stuff by, get up with me With your girl sitting back, I'm a little crazy Ooh, right here with me It's where you wanna be Let's get it Hey friends, and welcome to the final episode of season one of the Sugar Free Podcast. I just want to thank you all for taking this amazing journey with me. And to start this episode, an episode that is really about truth and inspiration, I really wanted to share with you all something that has inspired me over the years and gotten me through many tough times. It's a poem entitled Still I Rise by Maya Angelou. So here it goes. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still, like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you, honey? Why are you beset with gloom? Cause I walk like I've got oil wells pumping in my living room, just like moons and like suns with the certainty of tides, just like hope springing high, still I'll rise. Did you wanna see me broken? Bowed head and lowered eyes, my shoulders falling down like teardrops. Awakened by my soulful cries. Does my haughtiness offend you? <laughs> Don't you take it awful hard? Cause I laugh. <laughs> like I've got gold mines digging in my own backyard. You may shoot me with your words. You may cut me with your eyes. You may kill me with your hatefulness. But still, like air, I'll rise. Mm, does my sexiness upset you? Does it come as a surprise that I dance cha-cha-cha like I got diamonds at the meeting of my thighs? Out of the huts of history shame, I rise. Up from a past that's rooted in pain, I rise. I am a black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise into a daybreak that's wondrously clear. I rise, bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave. Honey, I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise, I rise, I rise. Yes, yes, that one gets me every single time. I hope that that poem brought as much joy and inspiration to you today as it's brought me over the years. So what a perfect way to begin today's episode, which is about living life as a bald black woman with alopecia. To help me really get into this episode, I have a very, very, very special guest here today. Someone who has been a mentor to me, but has somewhere along the way become a friend. Miss um, Michelle Gibson is here to discuss her journey 
as a bald black woman with alopecia as well. And today I hope to have one of the most special and powerful episodes of the season. And how else would you expect for us to end season one of the sugar-free podcast and standing in our 100% sugar-free naked truth? Like literally naked truth, okay? Wigless and all, all right? (laughs) So please join me in welcoming Miss Michelle Gibson. Michelle, thank you for your presence today. Please tell the good people who you are and what you do. Hi, I am Michelle Gibson. I have had alopecia since I was five. So I am 48 years old. So that means I've had alopecia for 43 years. I am a writer, a host, and a counselor by trade, and a new mom. Yes, I am so happy to have you here, Michelle. This is probably hands down um, one of the episodes that I was looking forward to the most. Okay. um, Because I'm sure for you, it has been for me as well. Alopecia is one of the most important, significant things that have happened to me as an adult. And so if the premise of this show is having real honest conversations about navigating life, I felt like I couldn't do season one justice without having a conversation about what for some people may seem like an elephant in the room. The fact that I'm bald. <laughs> That's a pretty bad elephant if they if, if they miss that one. But yeah, I get it. Because this is the thing, right? And so people don't know if it's a choice. They don't know if if, you're sick. Yeah. Or if you have a disease or something. And so it's it's not ever something that people will openly say out loud, at least the people with some tact. Right. (laughs) Polite folks. But right. But I'm sure people will. You know, the the ones with all the gumption, like the ones at the grocery store that never met you before. <laughs> and so for, for that reason, um, I just wanted to have a real honest conversation about it. And so before we get into the discussion, I kind of want to do some level setting so okay. people know and understand what alopecia is. And so... Okay. So for our listeners out there, alopecia is a autoimmune disease wherein your body thinks that your hair or hair follicles is some type of a disease that it has to fight off. And so it prevents your body from being able to produce hair and you don't have any hair. And so there are three kinds of alopecia generally. I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, but I'm sure the Internet will correct me. Um, So the first kind is the most mild Mm -hmm. and it's most common. Yes, it's uh, alopecia areata. Did I say Mm -hmm. right? Areata. And it's defined or Chief characteristics are having small quarter sized bald spots just randomly occurring in your hair. Mm -hmm. And then they have universal or excuse me, alopecia totalis, which is Mm -hmm. next up in severity, which affects just the hair on your head. And Mm -hmm. is usually a complete baldness of the hair on your head. Mm -hmm. And then you have alopecia universalis, which is what Michelle and I have, which is we have no hair currently growing on on our bodies and so you either generally fall into those three categories and it's a disease that affects over 6.8 million people oh wow I didn't know that and there is no cure yeah and it's chronic so it comes and goes for some people right right and so to start 
tell us about how your alopecia journey began because you said you had started in childhood and I actually did as well. Okay. But so, tell me about how yours started or I don't you really remember. Story. And that's the God's honest truth. It's one of those things that I guess I blocked out a lot of. I, I never had a recollection of it, um, mm. but it happened when I was five. And as my parents tell the story, um, I would wake up with patches of hair on the pillow mm-hmm. and no one, you know, so I grew up in the seventies. So this is pre-internet. <laughs> so no one had a way of looking it up to try to figure out what was going on. So mm. everybody's answer was the stress. Yeah. It's stress. Yeah. But how is a five-year-old stress? Right. So there were no specialists, no dermatologists. It didn't even have a name that was that common at the time. And so the resolution was to cut my hair so that I would stop being traumatized by the amount of hair that was being left on the pillow. I don't remember any of this, but I do remember my dad cutting my hair. I remember being in the kitchen when it happened. I remember seeing my mother on the floor, gathering up my hair. I remember my dad crying. Like I remember all of those things, but I don't remember losing my hair. I don't remember going to the doctors pre alopecia. I remember all the doctor visits afterwards. It was two years after they cut my hair before I got a diagnosis of alopecia. So mm-hmm. that's how not common it was during those times. So mm. that's, that's how me and alopecia got to know each other. And how old were you? Five. Five. Okay. So I have somewhat of a similar story, but okay. maybe not so as severe. So that's for me. Yeah. And so I normally don't tell people this part of the story because it didn't affect me as much when I was little because my hair grew back. Mm-hmm. And so when I was probably around 10 years old, I started noticing that I had bald spots in my head and I had like mm-hmm. little coin size ones just just around the edges mm-hmm. and I would get them and my mom took me to the dermatologist and they gave me this cream they said it's alopecia or whatever so I put the cream on and the cream worked mm-hmm. my hair grew back and so mm-hmm. I I probably had spots though like on and off for about a year like I get a spot put the cream on it grow out grow back in and then another spot might pop up somewhere else. And so it was just kind of that cycle for about a year, but my hair always grew back. And so probably when I was about 13 was when I never had any more episodes. And so when I was younger, funny enough, I lost an eyebrow when I was like 12 and it's never grown back. And so I don't know if my friends ever noticed. Yeah. And so when I was in middle school, this is before my mom would let me wear makeup. The kids at school would make fun of me and call me unibrow because I only had one eyebrow. And so my was like, mom, like the kids are making fun of me. And so she started letting me wear makeup when I was like 12 or 13. So I could draw in that other eyebrow. Right. So I I had been drawing in my eyebrows for a really long time. And then, like I said, by the time I was like 11, I didn't have any more episodes of hair falling out in my hair. But by the time I was like 13, I besides that eyebrow that never grew back, I was perfectly fine. And it Mm -hmm. didn't show up again until my early 20s. And so I lived a pretty normal adolescence, 
teenage years. And so um, I never mention it, but I actually did have alopecia show up in my childhood. Gotcha. And so at 12, what year was that? 2002. That's so sweet. Yeah, it was, uh, that's almost 20 years ago now. 2002 doesn't feel like 20 years ago, does it? It does. Oh, (laughs) well, so, so yeah, so that was kind of my introduction to alopecia. And so when you were younger and you had lost all your hair, how did you cope with not having any hair as a child? So I think a lot of my coping was not coping, right? Like, I think it was pretty dysfunctional. I pretended not to be sick couldn't get a wig during those times they didn't make wigs for children. So I did, couldn't get a wig until I was eight. And it still was a very grown wig. It made me look very old. And so we didn't talk about it in my house. We didn't bring it up. Nobody said anything to anybody. Um, and when I would get teased or picked on or any of that stuff, I really didn't tell anybody but my sister because I was afraid my parents would blow it out of proportion. Right. So I just kind of kept it to myself. And there, then there were things I couldn't tell my sister because my sister was seven years older than me. So she you know, was big enough to whoop somebody. So right. I was like, <laughs> never mind. I'll just I'll just bear it. So I, I did that all the way through college. Like that was my 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 method of handling it. Yeah, I, I it's so interesting that you say that was your method all the way through college, because I actually had my first wig experience in college Mm. um and so for everybody out there i started losing for the for the for the last time (laughs) my hair when i was a sophomore in college and Mm -hmm. so um Michelle and I both went to the illustrious Hampton University. The Hampton University, yes. <laughs> yes. And so for anybody who is not familiar with Hampton, Hampton is considered an elite HBCU and bougie, 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 right? Like <laughs> bougie everywhere. And so- Bad place to be with no hair, but yes. Boom, the worst- Good thing. everywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> One of the worst places you could be with no hair because yeah. as Black women- we can be our best champions and cheerleaders, but we can also be our worst critics. And but even, even the men were like that. I don't know that I had any worse experiences with women than I did with the men. That's about fair. my hair. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. And I, and I have actually an anecdote that I'm going to get to in just a second once I set the scene for <laughs> for this. And so, yes, it was difficult being in an environment where beauty perfection in appearance was the currency of the realm. (laughs) Like, and that, that's really how, yeah, that's really how it was at Hampton. Mm -hmm. And it was a very difficult place where, you know, you might be critiqued if, if your perm went right, you know, your edges went like having no hair, right. Is the word, the word, the lowest of the totem pole, right. Right after no edges, Bad weave, right? Bald head. And again, two different periods of Hampton. So no okay. one wore weaves or wigs at Hampton when I went to school. So we were in our in the end of the pro-black era. So mm-hmm. everybody was, you could have a perm. Like that was, but you still got talked about for having a perm. 
Mm. Like the natural was where people were when we entered Hampton. When we left Hampton, it was more of the creamy crack, as they call it, right? But right. Um, you Afros, braids, that was everything for my tenure. No one had weaves. No one wore a wig but me. So yeah. it wasn't it wasn't a common experience, right? Like it wasn't, it was, oh girl, look at your inches. That's so hot. It was <laughs> sister, do you not know who you are? Love your blackness. <laughs> Love who you are. You should be blacker than that. <laughs> love yourself denounce the white man like it was like that so, yes. yeah so by the time I had gotten to Hampton um I think that natural wave was coming back but okay yeah so a lot of girls were starting to go natural and that's actually when I started losing my hair I tried to go natural to be with everybody else and then I started noticing I was like wait maybe I need to get another perm and so but weaves were still very popular but no okay. one was wearing a wig no, no, okay. like no one knew, like had any concept for that. It was all about, and we didn't even have like bundles or whatever back then. We had the yeah. little tracks. Yeah, with yeah, the glue. yeah. Okay, we had yeah. tracks. And yeah, <laughs> like yeah. And if you and it was hot in Hampton, so that glue wasn't real good. So yeah. Hey, listen, I made it work for my freshman year. <laughs> And if you had a, a, a girlfriend who could braid or, you know, a little extra money, you might have got your sewn in. But for the most right. part, we had right. tracks and glue. Right. And um, one of my first experiences at Hampton with trying to find a wig, I so I met Michelle when I was at school and we got connected because I was just starting to deal with alopecia. And one of the things that was so devastating was that I was I felt so alone. Mm hmm. I felt so isolated. And so one of my professors who happened to be one of uh, Michelle's classmates connected us. And I dug up this email that I wrote to Michelle. Oh, oh, you wrote me an email? <laughs> I wrote you an email in college describing uh, one of my first experiences trying to, and I, I'm going to read it for the people if you don't okay. mind. I'm going to read right. it. And so, and so before I read it though, one of the things that I think Michelle and I have in common is that we are both storytellers. And I went back and read this, both my email and her response. And I just was crying like, oh, my God, like, I feel like I'm right back. Wait, I replied to it? You replied. Okay, you gonna read that too? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna read it too. Okay, okay, so, okay. This email was from Monday, April 4th, 2011. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Don't you love Gmail? I love it. So it says... Um, Hold on. Let's see. Says, hi, Michelle. I know I wrote you yesterday, but I just had to write you today. Today was just a rough day for me and my alopecia. I went to try and find a wig for my conference this weekend with one of my friends. We were talking and laughing, and then she just made a comment that wasn't malicious or negative, but it just hit a really sensitive nerve. I got in the car after we left the store and bawled like a baby. I tried to go to class, but I was still unconsolable. Duncan, who's a professor, pulled me aside today uh, after class to make sure that I wasn't dying or that someone else hadn't died. <laughs> but I really just had a moment. The last of my hair fell out recently, and I feel like I am starling, starting the healing process all over again. I know I will have more moments because it's still fresh, but how do you deal with your moments? 
Do you feel like the article that you did in Jane was healing or did it throw salt on a wound? I'm trying to figure out whether it will help me to tell people or only make it harder for me to cope. Today was just a really hard day for a little girl with alopecia, but I know it will get better. Please let me know what you think. And so this is what um, Michelle responded with. Sid, you know my heart is aching for you. I have had moments after moments, and it's hard for our friends with hair to know that when they say certain things or talk about stuff that we often feel excluded, isolated, and hurt. I'm glad you cried. I know you. We are so much alike. We are so strong to the whole world that we can rock around with a wound like we aren't hurt when we are. Sometimes you just need to cry. I remember once when I was at Hampton, I had a new wig and I felt really fly and confident and went to a club with my friends. I saw this one boy that I just needed to know his name. And when I got the courage to finally go up to him and the only thing he could say to me was, you would be cute if you wasn't wearing that wig. And he laughed and laughed. I went and hid in the corner of the club until my friends were ready to leave. That night, I cried in the hallway in McGrew, which is a dorm at Hampton, and called my daddy to come and get me. I was ready to leave. I've never told anyone that story, except for I just told it to (laughs) all of our listeners. (laughs) All I can say is that to make sure that you feel what you feel when you need to feel it, you will be a healthier person because of it. I was not as open about my alopecia as you are. There were a lot of people in my life that never knew why I wore a wig or if I wore a wig until my 10th anniversary at Hampton. The Jane article got me to the person you are today with your truth. It took a lot of shame away that I had carried since I was five years old and made me a strong and confident person for real, for real, not for play play. (laughs) Hampton hugs and kisses all over your beautiful alopecia head. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I remember those words now, actually. And it took me a long time to craft that, I think. Um, because you know how sometimes you're not sure if you're helping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were helping. Oh, well, you had shared that story with me and I shared that story with all my friends. Because I was like, <laughs> this is so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By that time, I was sharing it with everybody, right? So it wasn't. <laughs> it was. I can't wait to see that guy again, though. He he was actually he wasn't in my class. I think he was in a class below me. So I he gonna be at a homecoming one day. I'm gonna be like, look, <laughs> this me. Yeah, and so. Speaking of that guy, I would love to talk a little bit about your experience dating with alopecia, because whew. Um, you don't have enough time in a podcast (laughs) (laughs) we do we do we do so yeah like what has been the most difficult part do you feel like about dating with alopecia so I think in the latter years it's become easier because it's better known the disease is better known uh people are wearing wigs and weaves and it's not a big deal um But I think the lack of honesty that I shared meant that there was a lack of intimacy, right? And so it was my big lie, right? Mm. And I had to keep up the lie and went through all sorts of 
idiotic things to keep the lie going. Um, even though Been most <laughs> most men figure it out, like they're not as dumb as I thought they were. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, you know, they grew up with sisters. Like, who, what was I thinking? Like, you <laughs> so, you know, the whole, oh, your arms are so smooth. Do you shave them? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly, exactly what I do. You guessed it. Like, so it was a lot of that. I, I felt bad. I had to do almost like a Alcoholics Anonymous approach to past lovers and let them know what was really going on and, and mm-hmm. share my truth after I had went through therapy. And um, it so the challenge of being an honest person with alopecia, right, is um, being upfront about it, having the disconnect that I look like Sydney. Yeah. Th- this is what I look like. Yeah. Right. And so the wig gives um, some type of barrier or buffer in the in the truth of of what what I'm saying to you, right? Like I can tell you I have alopecia, I don't have any hair, blah, blah, blah. But you don't know what that is because you're not going to see it. That's not who I am. So I have a little barrier that you have chose not to have. And so there is a disconnect, I think, in people, uh, like a cognitive dissonance kind of thing and trying to put those two things together. Um, which allows for the comments that are hurtful sometimes. Um, and not really being able to put into words that that I have a disease, right? Like there's one thing to tell people you don't have hair. And I think I spent a lot of my life saying I don't have hair when I should have been saying I have a disease, Mm. So those are, those are incredibly different things to digest. And one keeps people out of your business, right? Like I just don't have hair versus I have a disease and now we're at, now you're sick. Is it genetic? You, can you pass it on? Can you, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah. Yeah. I, I can totally relate to the hiding and feeling like you have to keep up the facade because, um, I mean, and you know this, I I wore wigs for for, uh, for many years before I decided to go without. And mm-hmm. I, I remember, you know, some crazy things that I used to do. I used to be the one that would hop up in the middle of the night, make sure my eyebrows were still on. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Oh, yeah. That's when I knew I was in love, when I didn't hop up to... <laughs> I, Half the eyebrow gone, the other half there, and he kissing you anyway. Oh, you love me. <laughs> this is real. <laughs> this is real. Yeah. But yeah, I, I I used to sleep above because these before we had the good lace front wigs. And so remember, there used to be a seam mm-hmm. in wigs and there was nothing you could do about it. Right. Like there was mm-hmm. no scalp. It was just a hard seam that mm-hmm. ran across here. And you only to me could tell if you were below me. So no matter, you could be six foot five. If you were, (laughs) I'm doing all this. So, you know, and even (laughs) like if we were in the bed, I would, I would make sure that I woke that before you woke up, my head was above your head. So you couldn't see the same. (laughs) Like that's, that was my smart answer to that. Right. So, um, the, 
the interesting part of dating is that once men usually found out you were sick, then there was a difference in how they handled you, which was always very sweet. I never had a disappointing reaction to that knowledge, but I did have some harsh reactions to being light, mm-hmm. um, which I wasn't expecting. Right. Um, I, and not in the sense of like, you deceived me deception, but I, I could have been there for you. I needed to know these things. We, you know, yeah. um, that I was very, very surprised about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that I had to be more open about my alopecia because I was going through it, <laughs> you know, like you, you had an opportunity to kind of have the initial experience when you were younger. So by the time mm-hmm. you were dating, it was just a normal part of your life. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like right in the middle of my young adulthood while mm-hmm. I was losing my hair. And so I kind of had to be open with people because like you said, like they're not, they're, they're pretty intelligent creatures. Men right. are right. And right. so <laughs> they knew something was up. I, right. so it was just like, I'm sitting here looking crazy, like not saying anything when right. I got fistfuls of hair coming out by the day. And you know, my freshman yeah. year, of college I had a full head of hair and so I don't know that I have this insane amount of courage it's just like you gotta say something fool because people looking at you like you know I I always (laughs) get so tickled when people call me brave it's like is that brave (laughs) (laughs) is that what we're calling brave these days I mean I get it though I do and when you know when I did the Jane article um that was the first time I had taken a hair a picture without my hair since I was five. Right. And so people read it. I didn't know people read Jane magazine, MTV called and wanted to do a reality TV show. Like it was all sorts of insanity that was happening around that article. Um, And I knew that you couldn't put it back in the bottle. Mm -hmm. Right. But I don't know. I had decided who true Michelle was. I, you know, I had lived the life for so long or the deceptive type of Michelle so it wasn't I I was still coming into myself after mm-hmm. the article and what alopecia Michelle, honest alopecia Michelle would look like. So that that evolution took a couple of years before I figured out how I wanted to walk in the world. Well, so when you figured out how you wanted to walk in the world, were you ever considering at some point? showing up without a wig as part of, you know, your regular aesthetic or has that never, yeah, I did. That was a part of the, that was a part of the experience. I did my baby steps. I lived in New York. So I remember I'm going to go out on the run without my wig. Like, you know, here we go. Here we go. Yeah. So I did that. I, you know, I took my steps. I had uh, uh, two whole years of my wigs don't have passports. So anytime <laughs> I would go on a trip, no wigs, right? And then the trauma of the airport itself kind of set mm-hmm. in. Um, the looks, the stares, the curiosity, the 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 mislabeling, right? Like I, I went to Puerto Rico once. Um and I didn't have my wig, but I had a hat on because I had learned better not to because I, I wasn't prepared for that. So I, I bought a hat, had a hat on 
and was sitting in my seat and people can were I, buying. Can I stop you for a second? When you say mm-hmm. not prepared for that, like what was happening? Um, that the looks in the stairs. Mm. I'm not a, I'm not an attention person. Right. So I, I just am going through my world. Right. So when all of a sudden people are looking and staring and, and, and paying attention to you when you're not used to being paid attention to, that was more than I was ready for. Um, so I had bought me a cute little coach hat and was yeah. sitting in my seat thinking I was off fly after being traumatized of having to take the hat off going through TSA. Right. So I was flying and then I wasn't. And then I, I had to get myself together and stop crying and get in that seat. And so I had my hat on and people started buying me drinks. And I didn't understand why. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then the stewardess was like, well, what stage are you? Oh, no. <laughs> Am I drinking cancer drinks? Oh. <laughs> No, Jesus. <laughs> I'm drinking cancer drinks. Like, you know, that was a lot too. You know what I'm saying? I was I like, now, now I'm sick, but I ain't that sick. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not that kind of sick. And now I feel bad because now these people think I'm dying. Don't feel bad for their ignorance. That, that is totally their fault that they made that assumption and that they bought those drink back. I didn't send it back. <laughs> I drunk it. <laughs> but it did, it did, you know, there's, there's, there's a point of how much do you want to be responsible for other people's opinions of you? Right. And I don't know that I'm a person who can not be responsible for their opinions. Um, that may be my third evolution is to, you know, shed that, but that's not quite where I am now. So, um, so I spent about, about three to four years doing things like that, where I would have my moments and I felt good about my moments and I loved them because I chose them. And, you know, when you're people like us that need to feel in control of something, right. It's, it's a beautiful thing because the alopecia makes you feel completely out of control, but it was a beautiful thing to be able to control my, my looks, my gazes, my, you know, I, I knew I was stepping into that. I knew what I was going into. You know what I'm saying? And I, mm-hmm. I, I own those experiences. And even when they threw me curveballs, right. It just added another layer of knowledge to what that experience is. But I do not see myself as a person without hair. Mm. And so I could not resolve that part of it. Like, how do I get to being me now? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, people, people push their idea of healing and whole and acceptance on you. Um, But I liken it, if you need an analogy to transgendered people, right. Mm. If, if their version of who they are is not matching what they see, then who are we to confine or to make them be one way or the other? And my version of who I see myself to be was not matching that. And mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't make it. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't just the, 
I know I'm bald, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, and I could tell it to you and I could say it to you and, and all of those things, but it, that is not who I feel I am. Mm. And so I couldn't make that happen. And so my courage was to wear my wig, even yes. when other people wanted me to be cur- courageous and not, right? Yes. Like, they 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 needed me to be this hero, but you're not walking around in the skin. You don't know what that's like. So stop it. Oh, you should be so fabulous and wear these big earrings and do that's not I'm not that person. I'm not I'm not a head wrap person. I'm not. You know what I'm saying? Like and I love them. I think it's wonderful. I have a closet full of them because I tried to be one. <laughs> But it's not, it's not who I am. And so at one, at some point I had to stand up for me and say, this is, this is who I am. And this is how I want to be in the world. And I also am allowing myself to change my mind on that. And if I decide that I want to do something else, I can do it. I can go back to no, no weird passport, Michelle, if I want to, like, I, I feel like I have that freedom, but I have been almost bullied mm. into bald mm. and you you will not do that to me I had to fight to be authentically who I am and so if authentic means wearing oh. somebody else's hair then that's that's my version of authenticity like that's that's who I am and I'm not going to I'm not going to allow people who don't have to walk in my walk to make me feel one way or the other about it and I I I don't, I don't need it to be okay for anybody but me. There's so much goodness there. (laughs) So many, so many layers and so many things that I can relate to in my own journey with alopecia, um, starting with the protection that a wig provides. And I, I don't think that people really understand, like it is a covering in so many ways and I enjoyed the protection of that covering <laughs> like, you remember the-, the Morehouse homecoming when everybody wanted to kiss and rub your head oh my gosh I do I, I, I do I do that that was maybe gosh that was maybe three or four months after I had stopped wearing the wigs yeah and it's it's terrifying. I remember one time going to um, a, a festival with my sister and I had been telling her like I was just so tired of dealing with people's reaction because for whatever reason, people felt like they had ownership over my body and she she didn't believe it. And so my sister and I don't live in the same place. And so she went with me and she almost got in th- like three fights because she was right. like, touch my sister, don't touch my sister. And I'm like, this is everyday life for me. Yeah. People think that they have a right to my body because I look different. I remember being a young prosecutor Um, one of my first jobs out of law school and I'm trying to establish myself as a professional Mm-hmm. And I had a gentleman who also worked in that office with me and he was bald. He was a, mm-hmm. a, white, a white male and he mm-hmm. was also bald. And he was like, oh, we're family. And like rub my bald head without permission, without warning in front, in public, in front <laughs> of people. Like I was a dog and I was right. mortified. Right. And he thought it was okay. And I know in his mind, he was thinking, 
we camaraderie. Some, right. He thought it was he thought it was a wonderful thing to do. We're yeah. having a moment. And I'm like, yeah. I am embarrassed and violated. Yes. Yes. That you have helped yourself to yes. my head yes. and rub me like a dog without yes. my permission in a professional setting. Yes. Like I was this like, is something you would do. Right. The, the and so that that idea of covering yeah. is so powerful to me because that wasn't something I wanted to give up. Right. <laughs> Like I right. liked the covering then the protection right. that it provides, because not only does it provide you a like physical protection, but mm-hmm. it also provides you protection from like you said, the stairs, the questions. Are you sick? Are you having cancer? Like it, you don't have to be the girl with alopecia. You can mm-hmm. just be Sydney. You can just be Michelle. And that's all I wanted. I felt like after going through having hair for most of my life, all I wanted was to feel like myself again. And mm-hmm. going through that experience, I didn't I didn't recognize myself in the mirror. I would wake mm-hmm. up and think to myself, I'm ugly. I'm hideous. Oh, I mean, but that's how I felt because mm-hmm. to go from living a life, having a full head of hair and I had nice- your hair helped define who your yeah. was. I got you. I got you. You were. It- you are part of the black experience because most black women hair is a part of the definition of beauty. I can never forget um, a woman saying to me, um, a man that would love a bald woman had to be blind or in love. And she didn't know I had alopecia. It was just a comment because at the time I was wearing a short wig. Right. And so it's like, but I, I missed what you are missing, right? I miss the experience of growing up as the the beauty shops and the, you know, the black woman's hair definition of beauty. And it was the thing that got snatched from you when you lost your alopecia because you did grow up with it, right? So, yeah. Yeah. And that's something to mourn. Like that's, that's a part of our culture that, that you, you should mourn. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I think that's probably the most accurate description of, because I will say this too, before growing up in Las Vegas, and I, I don't like, it's, it's very much like in LA where beauty, beauty is also the currency <laughs> and, yeah. and, and not yep. necessarily black Afrocentric standards of beauty, like mm-hmm. very much European hair, right? Yes. <laughs> Straight yes. hair, long yes. hair, skinny yes. Like, you know what I mean? Like all of those things. And like, and and so I didn't feel like I fit into what I had always believed to be the standard of beauty. Mm. And um, I felt like I did fit in with in line with that before. And then after losing my hair, I just was Mm. like, who's going to want to, who's going to want to date me? Who's going to, who's going to think I'm beautiful because I don't myself at this moment, feel like I'm beautiful and the wigs helped me to to hide that. I don't think mm-hmm. I really had to deal with that mm-hmm. until I stopped wearing the wigs. But I mean, like I, I didn't take my wig off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I don't take mine off. <laughs> and, you ain't gonna catch me without this hair on. So listen, yeah. and especially once they started making the wigs you didn't have to take off. Because at first we they, had we had to take them wigs off. They're every day. uncomfortable and them $30 <laughs> would go like 
that matted up look was not cute, right? Girl, so, yeah, it was only gonna last but you five hundred dollars, baby. Right. <laughs> you can wet it, set it, forget it, all Wrap of it. Yeah. Yes, but that first day, black experience. Yeah. Yeah. You weren't doing none of that. And so once no. we got to a place in wig technology where we could do all that, oh, I was doing it and I was happy to do it. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm bad again. Like my feelings of value for myself and other people mm-hmm. were too strongly connected with beauty. That and I, I, didn't, I didn't realize how vain I was. Like I mm. had to really cope with the fact that Beauty truly is much deeper than appearance, but I don't think I had reconciled with that. I wanted to be beautiful. I wanted all my friends to be beautiful. I wanted for my boyfriend to be beautiful. I wanted everything to be beautiful. And at the time, everything looked beautiful. And then I I know you remember my college boyfriend and like everything Mm -hmm. looked beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, Mm -hmm. everything was a mess. Right. And I I had to deal with it. Right. Right. And, and I think that that's when I really had to reconcile with what I rather have a life and an image that looks beautiful on the outside or feels Mm -hmm. beautiful on the inside. And that's when I had to really Mm -hmm. start doing that work to, to figure out what beauty looked like on the inside and, and what it, what it meant to have peace and and feel beautiful. And, and, And that took a lot of work and to see beauty in others that extend beyond their physical appearance. And so it was such a, a healing and growing journey for me. Like, I, I don't think yeah. God makes mistakes. And I think he knew that <laughs> I had very little empathy for people. I had very little understanding for other people's experiences. Like this is, this is it. This is life. And I, I, I was very rigid. Yeah. I thinking and like, very sure. Very, <laughs> very sure. I was like, well, she's got it all figured out at 20. It's <laughs> Like I just knew. And I think that this was the beginning of the deconstruction mm-hmm. of my thoughts about everything. Mm-hmm. everything. Yeah, it, it turns it turns everything upside down. It really does turn everything upside down. And with that, we're going to have to cut this episode short. I know, I know, I know, I know you hate a two parter. But this conversation was so good and so rich that I didn't want to chop any of it in the editing process. I want you guys to get the full effect of this very beautiful conversation. And so we are going to continue the conversation next week. I know at the top of the episode, I said this would be the finale. Well, surprise, we got a two-parter, okay? So tune back in next week for plenty of more amazing conversation, some laughs, some heartfelt moments, and of course, plenty of tea that's 100% sugar-free. Woo chow. Mm-hmm. What a show. We shared some good old tea today, didn't we, friend? Thank you for your presence. I truly enjoyed you at the tea party, and we appreciate you sipping on some sugar-free tea. With me, your host, Sid Mack. Until next time, be sure to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Sugar Free Podcast or at Sugar Free Pod. You can also visit our website at www.sugarfreepodcast.com. 
see you again soon, friends. And be sure to keep the tea party going, a with plenty of tea that's 100% sugar-free. Tired of piecing your business forms together from an internet search? Tired of sealing all your business deals with a pinky promise? Looking for a way to add some formality and professionalism to your business relationships? Then you need Formally. Formally is a DIY legal form and template shop for entrepreneurs, small business owners, creatives, freelancers, dreamers, and side hustlers. All Formally forms and templates are drafted by an experienced, licensed business attorney and reviewed by a law professor. So, not to brag or anything, but our forms are pretty legit. So what are you waiting for? Throw those pinky promises away and try formally today.